Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It might not mean what you think it means. Today, we're going to talk about it. This is the Lost Mission Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the show. My name is Don Van Zandt, and this is the Lost Mission Podcast, where it is our goal to help us as believers to get back to our mission of knowing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. So this is our new series on prayer, and um, in this series we are going to focus on prayer, specifically the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we're going to talk about what it is, talk about what it isn't, um, and really our goal is to just follow the commands of Jesus on how we ought to pray um, as we learn to grow deeper in our faith and in our walk with God through prayer. So today we're going to jump right into the first petition of the Lord's prayer. All right. And that's the thing about the prayer there. there it has a specific layout. Uh, it has a very specific nature to it. And I really believe that is one of the things that makes the prayer such a popular prayer. And it makes such an impact on us is, is it sort of comprehensive nature. Uh, the prayer really is packaged quite nicely. Um, now, if you remember correctly, a few weeks ago, I actually mentioned this, that um, the way that the prayer is sort of structured. It has an introduction, seven petitions, and um, a, uh, the, the doxology of the prayer, the ending of the prayer. And really for me, when it came down to it, this was sort of one of those light bulb moments for me in, in my study on, on the prayer. Now, growing up, I was taught the Lord's Prayer, much like many of you were in Sunday school. I was taught to memorize it. I was taught so many different things about it. But really, through probably no fault of the, the teachers, but they just um, they didn't teach it to me in the right way. And I don't say that to be a slight to anybody that, that has taught this prayer, because I believed it this way myself for many years until I began to study it. But I was taught that when we would pray the Lord's Prayer, that we would come to the phrase, hallowed be thy name, and um, that it was sort of a praise that we offered to God. But as I began to study this prayer, I noticed that actually it's not so much a praise, it is actually a petition. So there are seven petitions in um, the Lord's Prayer, right? And I'll, I'll try to post them somewhere on the screen so that you guys can see them. Um, but there are seven petitions to the Lord's Prayer, and the first petition is the prayer hallowed be thy name, right? Um, but before we get into the petition, maybe we should talk about and we should try to define what a petition actually is, all right? <clears throat> so I'm certain that you have heard of a petition. In politics or with any sort of activist type group, they'll often ask those they are wanting to support their cause to sign a petition. You heard of a GoFundMe? And you've heard of a petition. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, I've, I've seen and even signed a few of my own petitions, um, sort of pro-life petitions. We've seen uh, build the wall petitions. If you remember back to the election cycle around 2016, that was a big one that was going around, petitions to get a, a wall built at the southern border of the U.S. Um, 
Black Lives Matter petitions, blue, uh, blue Lives Matter petitions, Baby Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, um, large petitions that we've heard of, even small-scale things to maybe get a park built in your neighborhood. You're familiar with what a petition is. It's sort of a rallying cry to get people to follow a cause. But here, here's the official sort of dictionary definition of what a petition is. Uh, three, three definitions. I'll just read them all to us. A petition, a formal written request made to an authority or an organized body to do something like to file a, a petition is a formal written request. Um, a written request or call for a change signed by many people in support of something. So like we mentioned, the, the GoFundMes and the different petitions that go around. Uh, maybe a GoFundMe is more than a petition. It's more of a fundraiser, right? But you get the point. <laughs> um, an earnest request, sort of an entreaty. Or something that has been asked or requested. And a petition, as we're defining it, as it functions in the Lord's Prayer, would be under those last two definitions. An earnest request or something that has been asked or has been requested. So a petition is simply a request. It's something that we ask for. But really, it's more than just a request. It's more than just asking for something. I don't want us to think of, of prayer um, as just something that we, that we do, right? Right? It's not just that, well, I have to do this, so I'm going to lay out my petitions before God, then check the box, and we're done. We've, we've prayed, all right, you know, pat yourself on the back. I've done a good job. You know, prayer is more than that, right? Um, uh, prayer, prayer is something that we should do with a certain sense of urgency and desire and, and, and fervency, with this sort of desire, this longing to be heard. And I really feel like that is one thing that Christ desires. Matter of fact, in, in Luke's accounts, he talks about sort of coming with a sense of, of importunity. Um, we petition God because we truly, truly want him to hear us. And so the first petition that is mentioned is, hallowed be thy name. All right. So in prayer, we do a lot of asking. We do. And that is fine. We should. We should ask as much as, as we can in prayer. God desires that we ask him things. Uh, let me share with you a quote from E.M. Bounds and his uh, Complete Works on Prayer, which I have somewhere on the bookshelf behind me. Um, here's a quote from the book. Prayer is a mighty movement of the soul toward God. It is a stirring of the deepest forces of the soul toward the throne of heavenly grace. It is the ability to hold on, press on, and wait. Restless desire restful patience and strength of grasp are all embraced in it it is not an incident or a performance but a passion of the soul it is not a want half needed but a sheer necessity prayer guys prayer is a necessity it is and this petition of the prayer is an absolute necessity when i begin to understand what this what this first element of the prayer, this first petition really was, and how it impacted all of the rest of the prayer, it, it was, like I said, sort of a light bulb moment for me. I began to realize, began to see how much God truly hallows his own name and how that we should pray, Father, hallowed be thy name. So what is the first petition? Our Father, which art in heaven, as we talked about already, the first petition, hallowed be thy name. It is a petition about the name of the Father. Jesus is letting us know we should pray to God that his name 
might be hallowed. That is what God wants us to do when we pray. And I really feel like that is an overlooked element of the Lord's Prayer. It was overlooked by me. That's why at the top of the show, I said that it might not be what you think it is because it wasn't what I thought that it was. I thought that when I came and I prayed, hallowed be thy name, I was offering up a praise to God. Lord, your name is hallowed. I honor you. I praise you. That's not to say that we shouldn't praise, but if we're going to really try to get the prayer right, we need to pray that God's name would be hallowed, all right? Uh, So what does this mean, though? What am I talking about when I say this? Here's, Here's what I mean. It means that before we pray for our personal needs or the needs of those around us, we should pray that God's name would be hallowed or would be made holy. That's what that word hallowed means. It comes from a Greek word, um, hagiadzo, which can mean several different things, both in the, um, the New Testament and the Greek translations of the Old Testament, right? Um, it can mean to dedicate, um, dedicate to service and loyalty to God, to make holy, to sanctify, to cause one to have the quality of holiness, to honor as holy, to hallow, <laughs> to feel reverence, or to regard as holy. So much can be said about the holiness of God when something is, is hallowed. So when we pray, Father, hallowed be thy, be thy name, we are praying, Lord, help us to see and cause others to see the quality of holiness in the name of God. It's very important that we recognize how holy our God is, that we don't approach him flippantly, that we don't approach him casually, that we don't approach him in such a way that, that, that we miss out on or we fail to recognize how holy God is. All right, so when we pray, Lord, hallow your name, we're praying, God, make your name honored in everything that we do. So everything following this portion of the prayer, it is an exercise of the holiness of God throughout everything else that we pray. So here's here's how I kind of like to explain this prayer, how I like to sort of define it. There's just my own personal definitions here. I like to say that the Our Father portion of the prayer is sort of the doorway into the prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, we're entering into the prayer. Um, But when we pray, hallowed be your name, um, it, it is the foundation upon which the rest of the prayer is built. So the Our Father is the doorway, but the prayer, hallowed be thy name, is the foundation. Here's what we pray. We pray, hallow your name in the way you build your kingdom. Hallow your name as you give us daily bread. Hallow your name uh, as you forgive us and we forgive others. Hallow your name when you lead us away from temptations. Hallow your name because this is all yours. The kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen. Hallowed be thy name. So the question then is this. Does God's name need to be made holy? I mean, does it? If God is already completely holy and sovereign, which he is, uh, why then pray that his name that is already hallowed and is already holy, why pray that it would be made that way? Well, okay, so let me give you a few examples from the Old Testament to maybe help to clarify what we mean by saying, hallowed be thy name. A couple of examples here. Um, from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 3, um, speaking of the Sabbath, I think it, it gives a good illustration for us. So God says of the Sabbath, then God blessed, so, so God did it, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it 
because in it he rested from all his work which he had created and made. So God blessed the Sabbath. God hallowed the Sabbath. God has already done that. It's complete. Well, but then later we read in the book of Exodus the command, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So if it's already been made holy, why would they need to keep it holy? God has already completed the work, right? Well, they're to recognize that. Also, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. So God hallowed the day of his own choosing and then followed with a command to the Jews that they wouldn't keep it holy. The same with the name of, of God. We pray, hallowed be thy name, even though God has already hallowed his own name. But we are praying that we would recognize the holiness of God in his name. Uh, Cyril of Alexandria, 4th century uh, theologian, he gave a, a pretty clever analogy um, to explain this, this, this principle of prayer and this petition. All right, let me, let me read to you what it has to say about uh, Cyril. Let your name be sanctified does not imply a deficiency in the holiness of God. <laughs> he asks the reader to imagine that there's a man who's nearly blind whose eyes allow only a modest amount of the sun's light in. And when the man prays, grant that the light of the sun's radiance may illuminate me also. Is he praying that the sun be made brighter? Cyril interjects this. Of course not. He is praying for himself, not the sun. So too must theologians reason that when we pray, let your name be sanctified. We are desiring for all humans to ascribe all holiness and glory to God as is fitting and right. So what does it mean to say, hallowed be thy name? Uh, it's not that we are praying that, that God would do something that he's already done. We are praying that God would help us to see that in everything else that we do. That is one of the major elements of Christianity that I feel like that we should focus on more in Western culture and in sort of the modern church is the sacredness of the name of God and his holiness reflected in all that we do. Really, here's, here's the problem, is that we have really developed a very selfish culture in the church. We've really developed a culture of people that are so focused on themselves. They are so focused on what they want, what they desire, what they need. When they come to prayer, it's very selfish. When they go to church, it's very selfish. When they worship God, it's very selfish. When they sing, it's very selfish. You know, um, I've even heard the expression many times from people that they, they came to church or whatever um, so that they might be blessed or so that they might be filled or so that they might be encouraged. Let me just say this. If that is your reason for church attendance, you're going to church for the wrong reason. You're worshiping God for the wrong reason. You're praying for the wrong reasons. The reason we serve God isn't for us. It's for the glory of God. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, Lord, we want to see the holiness of God and not, not just what I want. I think Christ really reflected that well on the cross when he prayed on his way to Calvary as he's about to die. And he says, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, right? So that's what it means. But what doesn't it mean? What, what doesn't it mean? Well, we've kind of gotten into that a little bit already. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't worship God when we pray. It doesn't mean that. I am not in any way trying to discourage anybody from worshiping or praising God while we pray. We absolutely should do that. Matter of fact, we have an entire book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, 
that lets us know that we should praise God and we should worship and honor and reverence and reverence God. Uh, so we definitely should do those things. But specifically, this prayer, this portion of the prayer is not a praise. All right? This portion of the prayer is not a praise to God. And so, like, like I mentioned, when I was first taught this prayer, it really just caused something in me to maybe feel a bit cheap when I prayed. Here's what I mean by that, when I say that. Um, I felt like when I would pray, I was trying to manipulate God. I would come and I would pray, you know, some form of, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I felt like I couldn't enter into any other portion of the prayer because I had to get my praises out of the way first. So I pray, Lord, I thank you and I honor you. I, I just give you glory. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't want to worship God. Don't, don't mistake me there. But I felt like I was trying to manipulate God. If I could just brag on God good enough, if I could just stroke his ego good enough, if I could just really lift the Lord up enough, then he'd bless me and he'd hear the rest of my prayers. I was actually taught that. I can't tell you how many times I, told, I was told by people in prayer that if I would just, just praise him, just praise him real good, if I would just worship him real good, that he'd bless me. That is a false belief about prayer, that if we worship God enough, that we'll get what we want, that God just needs to have his ego stroked. That's not the way that it works, right? Um, so we're not trying to, quote, butter up God before we pray or when we pray. <laughs> what does that phrase even mean, <laughs> to butter something up? If, if anybody is watching this video and knows what it means, what the phrase to butter something up as sort of stroke somebody's ego, where does that come from? Drop a comment, let me know. What does it mean to butter something up? So we don't have to stroke God's ego before we can ask him anything. He doesn't need that. He is God, right? We should praise him. We should honor up all the worship that we can to him. But if it's motivated by selfish reason and for selfish purposes, let me just say this. Let me say this. If there if there's anybody out there that is listening to the video that has has really struggled with that, I want to encourage you to stop worshiping God and stop praising him so that he'll do something for you. That's not prayer, and that is not how prayer should function. You should come to God. If you have a request, let your request be made known to him, right? If you want to worship him, give him worship. But don't come to him thinking, if I worship him enough, that he will bless me. That's not how God works. So praying, hallowed be thy name, is not a praise, it's a prayer. We do not have to insert praise as some necessary thing we do before we can ask God anything. Again, is praise recommended? Yes. Should we offer praise in prayer? Yes. Can we make it a habit to praise before we pray? Absolutely we can. But is it a requirement? No, it is not. Sometimes we can simply pray like blind Bartimaeus did as he called out to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? Um, I think we, we would do well to remember um, sort of the differences between praise and worship. They are not the same thing. They're both essential, but they're not the same thing. Praise focuses on what God has done, and worship focuses on who God is. Right? Praise focuses on what God has done, and worship focuses on who God is. Praise is more of an event, like you actually have to offer praise to God, but worship involves everything that we do. We worship God in our daily lives all the time. Do we have specific worship services and times of worship? Yes, we do, but it's not so much of an event as praise is. Praise is really quite easy. Anybody, anywhere, look, all right, most of you that, that watch my 
videos, view this content, listen to this podcast are sort of the, the Pentecostal framework. And we, we know what it is to want to sort of um, praise God, hoping that, that he'll hear us. That's easy. Anybody, anywhere can jump up and down and scream and holler, praise God, praise God, hallelujah, run around the church. Anybody can do that. That's not the hard part. It's really not. So if you think you're doing the hard part every time you take off down the aisle, well, you're doing the easy part, okay? That is the easy portion of it. The hard part is worship. Because worship means putting all of me aside and seeking only the glory of God. I'm for expressive worship, folks that, that, that jump and, and rejoice. I am for that. I, 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 I don't tell anybody not to do that. Um, but the essential part is to lay ourselves aside. Isn't that what Paul wrote to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 1? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you um, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So it's a, it's a sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, right? Um, so praise is easy, but worship is hard. And if you're struggling in, in prayer, um, worship. Just worship God for who he is and don't focus on on your need. If you want to worship him, worship him. Um, but we can also worship him through the expression of our needs as we pray, hallowed be thy name. Lord, I'm praying for this need. Hallowed be your, your name. I want you to be honored as I'm seeking you in this need, right? So to that end, um, the entire prayer, the entire remainder of the prayer is offered up as worship. So there's what the prayer is and what the prayer isn't. But here's another interesting thing sort of about this portion of the prayer is the, the, the phrase itself, hallowed be thy name, is really a quite Jewish phrase. It really is. Um, Jewish scholar Israel Abraham said of the prayer, uh, not, not, not just this phrase, but of the entire prayer, that no Jew should ever be averse to making the Lord's prayer his or her own prayer. They saw the Jewishness of the prayer. They saw Judaism coming forward. So the Jews recognized the theology of the prayer. Um, and we know this. We know that the Jews hold the name of God in highest esteem. Um, matter of fact, many a time, the Jews, when, when they spell out the name of God, they'll actually sort of abbreviate God, you know, G slash D, um, instead of spelling it G-O-D. And really, there's, there's, there's actually a pretty interesting reason as to why they do that. Um, I knew that they did it in reverence to God, but I didn't know the specifics as to why. But here's why. So according to the Talmud, according to the Jewish Talmud, Jews, they, they, they could erase the name of God if they had written it down, but only in specific ways, right? Um, so they could only erase adjectives that describe God. So if they wrote down holy or almighty or strong or powerful or omnipotent or omniscient or um, gracious or merciful or kind, they could, they, they could erase those words about God if it was a, descri a, a descriptor, an adjective to describe God. Uh, but they could not actually erase the name of God itself. So if they wrote down on a piece of paper, God, or El Shaddai, or Elohim, or Yahweh, um, then those things couldn't be erased. Once it was written down, the name of God was so holy to them that they would not go back and erase it. And so really, I, <laughs> I'm certain this made for um, some issues with the Jews when they would be writing out a document or writing down the name of God for any reason. 
and they would see that it had been misplaced or they'd, they'd done it in a wrong way, and it was just a grammatical error. Well, they, were so, they so revered the name of God, they couldn't erase it. So their workaround was to type out G slash D, or to write down G slash D. Um, and that seemed to kind of solve the problem for them. And there's been some debate amongst Jews on how some of that should function. I just found that to be very interesting because the Jewish mind holds the name of God in such a high regard. Um, another way they revere God's name is by using the Tetragrammaton. Um, you've seen this before. The Y-H-W-H, instead of spelling out um, Yahweh or, or Jehovah, it was what they would use. Um, so the Jews have a very high regard for the name of God. And I really do. I wish that the, the Western church mentality, the Western church culture that has become so materialistic in our prayers and has developed such a low regard for the name of God. And that's not not just the church, but in society as a whole. God's name is so misused and abused in American culture. You know, it seems as though anymore that... Um, you can't seem to see a video on the internet or a movie or a show or anything without them abusing the name of God. And personally, that offends me greatly when I see that. Uh, I, I, I don't know why there's this necessity to do that, but there is no respect for the name of God. And I wish that there really was. I wish that was a greater um, priority um, in, in entertainment to hold the name of God higher. So not just in the theology. It's very Jewish in its theology, but the phrase itself... The phrase, hallowed be thy name, um, is very Jewish. Matter of fact, when you um, read through the, the Jewish Kaddish, which is a very interesting prayer that has some interesting origins to it, basically the Kaddish started out this way, that um, rabbis would give their lectures, would give their teachings on Scripture, and at the end of these teachings, the rabbis would have a sort of a, uh, like a, a freestyle where they could bring in scriptures from the Torah, from the Old Testament, and quote those out to the listeners, and they became very popular. You know, they might grab a portion of the Psalms, or from Daniel, or um, one of the, the prophets, and would quote those back to the people, and they became very popular. Until after a while, you know, Rabbi whoever, <laughs> he, he gave his Kaddish, and it was so good that the next rabbi down the way began to copy that one, then the next one copied that one, until it became very formalized in, into uh, one specific prayer. And finally, it came down to a point where the Jews started to um, recite these, these prayers, this Kaddish, at the end of, of a funeral service. For whatever reason, there's, there's more to be said on that topic of what the Kaddish is. But they would recite the Kaddish at a funeral until it become, began to be known as the mourner's Kaddish, right? Uh, but in, in the Kaddish, um, here's what it has to say about the name of God. Exalted and sanctified is God's great name. In the world, he has created according to his will, and may he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and your days, and in the lifetimes of all the house of Israel speedily and soon. May his great name be blessed forever and all eternity blessed and praised, glorified, and exalted. Now notice, notice how this phrase, um, the phrase exalted and sanctified, right? Notice that phrase and how it sort of juxtaposes against the phrase 
hallowed be thy name. The Kaddish says, exalted and sanctified is God's great name. And then the Lord's Prayer says, hallowed be thy name. There's such a parallel there, right? Um, so there's, there, there are definitely Jewish connections back to um, the Lord's Prayer. Christ was likely not copying the rabbis when he did this. Um, because if, if I'm correct, I believe it was around the 9th century before the Jewish Kaddish was actually organized into, into what it is today. So some nearly 1,000 years after Christ was when the Kaddish was actually developed. Now, it, it was a process of time before it was finalized. So Christ is roughly 1,000 years. Um, so if anything, the rabbis would have been possibly borrowing from Christ. Uh, likely not, but, but that would be the greater possibility because Christ was around 1,000 years earlier. But nonetheless, the portion of the prayer is very, very Jewish. So with all of that in mind, the Jewishness of the prayer, if I could say it that way, what the prayer is, what the prayer is not, how should this affect the way that we pray? And I think this is what really matters. I believe this phrase is so significant. If we want to pray prayers that matter, and I do. Guys, I, I want to pray prayers that matter. I don't want prayers that are insignificant. I don't want prayers that mean nothing, that are meaningless. I want to pray prayers that matter, and I'm certain that you do as well. So if we want to pray prayers that matter, then we have to learn to pray biblical prayers. If we want to pray biblically, then we need to pray in the way that Christ intends for us to pray. At the end of the day, our final authority is the Bible. It is the Word of God. There is no other authority, no church, no preacher, no priest, no pastor, no worldview that supersedes the teachings of the Word of God. And so if we're going to, to believe the Word of God, then we need to pray the way that the, the Word of God teaches us to pray, and Christ has taught us to pray. And Christ intends for us to pray in such a way that we desire to see the holiness of God in all things. You know, I oftentimes tell people that everything that we, should, we do should be done for the glory of God. I tell people that regularly, and sometimes I kind of get these sort of, you know, like, like deer-in-the-headlights uh, looks when I, when I say that that people have a hard time seeing, well, how, how do I glorify God through my day-to-day -day on the job? How do I glorify God um, when I'm at home in the evening? How do I glorify God when I wake up and just put my shoes on? Now, granted, I'm not saying that, that we have to get up and tie our shoelaces and say, oh, praise Jesus, this is for the glory of God. You know, But I'm not saying that we shouldn't, right? I'm not saying that we should overlook Him in those things. The, the bottom line is this. We should desire to see the holiness of God in everything. So let me let me just turn back over as we're kind of winding this down here. And I want to read the prayer to us in its entirety. And we'll probably read this prayer through many, many times throughout this series. So uh, I hope you guys don't get tired of that. But this is a series on the Lord's Prayer, so we're going to talk about it a lot. Um, okay, hallowed be thy name. Let's put that in our minds as we read this prayer. After this manner, therefore, pray ye... Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
hallowed be your name in the way your kingdom operates. Uh, give us this day our daily bread and hallow your name in that, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Hallow your name in the way we forgive, God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hallow your name in that, in the, in, in the way that you are leading us away from temptation. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And that echoes the beginning of the prayer quite nicely. Father, hallowed be your name. In conclusion, <laughs> I have a final quote from Ian e. Bounds. Ian e. Bounds, that great author on prayer. Um, here's the book. Right here, The Complete Works of Ian e. Bounds on Prayer. Um, excellent read. Excellent read. I recommend it. Um, he says this. He teaches us that to hallow God's name is the first and greatest of prayers. A desire for the glorious coming of for the glorious coming and the glorious establishment of God's glorious kingdom follows in value and in sequence the hallowing of God's name. He who really hallows God's name will hail the coming of the kingdom of God and will labor and pray to bring that kingdom to pass and to establish it. Christ's pupils in the school of prayer are taught to are to be taught diligently to hallow God's name. Let me read that again. Christ's pupils in the school of prayer are to be taught diligently to hallow God's name, to work for God's kingdom, and to do God's will perfectly, completely, and gladly as it's done in heaven. So we want to hallow the name of God in everything that we do and in everything that we pray. Guys, I'm praying for you. Hope you have a great week. I'll catch you next time. Thank you.